Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, audience and listeners. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Jim Mafuccio, who's co-founder and CIO of Aspen Funds. Jim specializes in notes buying, which is a, a new topic for me. And I think for a lot of you who has been following us on the commercial real estate aspect of the uh, real estate business. Hey, Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Great to be here with you. Great to have you here too. So let me make sure I understand notes, right? So notes is basically debt on a real estate, right? It's not really the equity side of it, but the debt side of it, right? So why? So take it from there. Tell our audience a little bit more about how does notes, like from people like you, uh, play a function in a real estate business? Yeah, well, you know, almost all real estate transactions and holdings involve debt. Small percentage of properties are owned free and clear without debt, but most most properties uh, yeah. do have debt. Our our focus, our our business focus, is on residential debt. So this would be quite simply just the mortgage that people have on their homes. Somebody somebody owns that mortgage. Somebody has that receivable. Uh, those payments are being made to somebody. They're usually paid through a loan servicer, and the investor behind that servicer who actually owns the paper. Most people never know the names of, but we we are one of those entities that actually own the note. So, you know, there's two parties, basically two two basic parties to to a loan. There's the lender and there's the borrower. We're simply the lender and uh, we are not loan originators. Uh, we did not originate this paper, but we actually purchased, we purchased the, the bank's position, if you will, the lender's position. You know, usually we, we have two different aspects to our, our business model. One is we buy non-performing loans. So this is where a... Uh, a homeowner stops making payments on their mortgage and the institution who owns that loan and the servicer who services that loan uh, throw their hands up and say, we don't know what to do with this. It's not our business model. We don't want to foreclose and take properties necessarily. So um, this is real general. Obviously, they're, they, they do foreclose. But so we come behind and we purchase this loan. We purchase. The, so if the loan balance is $100,000, let's say, and it's a first lien, we can purchase that loan for maybe $50,000, but the borrower still owes hundred. So now we go to work trying to get that borrower to resume making payments or we modify the loan to make an affordable payment for the borrower. And uh, if the borrower can't or won't work with us, then we do exercise our rights against the collateral and we foreclose and, uh, and, and gives us the right to take the property because the borrower hasn't met their obligation. That's real simple terms. Yeah, I'll just let you lead me with, with questions. Yeah, but sure. let me, let me, I have, I have a lot, lot of questions based on your yeah, answers. <laughs> so let me understand, because I think a lot of people do not know this side of the business. It's very critical that I make sure everybody understands. So if I buy a rental property, there's a lot of hard money lenders. And then, uh, I mean, this is nothing to do with hard money lenders, but I think this is the long-term loan that Fannie and Freddie give to a servicer, right? Uh, and then 
where I mean, you don't buy that kind of loans, I guess, right? So you don't get involved. I think you look for, and you know, I think the bank right now they want to clear their book because some right. of the loan is not really performing. They do not want to have it in their books. Now That's they right. said, hey, let's call Aspen Funds and let them buy this, right? And they sell it to you at a deep discount, I guess. That's right. That's right. It's uh, yeah. We we don't buy really hard money loans in general. We have done some of that. Mm-hmm. We've done some fix and flip lending on our income side of our business because we also have passive investment funds where we purchase reperforming loans where these are loans now that we're in trouble at one point in time and either ourselves or somebody else has done a workout with the borrower now the borrower's back on track making some sort of payments on that on that loan and we we actually have income funds where we buy those income streams and then pass the uh you know, pass a coupon payment off to our investors and we make a management fee for managing that. And we're, we're consistently growing that portfolio. Uh, it's more, it's, a, it's, it's the less active, it's the more passive model in our business. But, but back on the other side, yeah, we're buying non-performing loans and we are buying mostly institution-originated paper. So as you said, uh, James, it would be, you know, Wells Fargo, Citibank, um, Nation Star, uh, th- these would be the names of servicers, but it's this kind of paper, Aquin. Um, our particular specialty, and this is maybe going a little d- bit deeper into this than than you you care to, but we actually have been specialized in buying second mortgages or junior liens. Okay. So this would be where somebody maybe bought a house and they took out a first. Maybe they bought a two hundred thousand dollar house and they took out a first for. Uh, 80% of that, 160000 And then later they refied or they took out a second or they got a purchase money home equity line. And uh, maybe that balance is $40,000 on that loan. And those loans, when they stop performing, the institutions, uh, they charge those off after like 90 days. They're, they're, not, they're not treated the same as a 30-year mortgage would be by the institution. So it creates a tremendous opportunity for us because we we purchase those on a, you know, literally a anywhere from 2% of what's owed to 60% of what's owed, depending on how much equity there is above the senior mortgage and depending on whether the senior mortgage is still performing. The vast majority of the loans, the second mortgages we buy will be behind a first mortgage that is still performing. So the, the homeowners making their payments on, on the big loan, the senior loan, but they stopped making payments on the second loan. So Got it. Again, Got we, it. Pick, we, we pick these up at a deep discount and then we go to work with the borrowers and try to get them into a uh, affordable pay, uh, pay plan and, and back to having uh, some equity in their property. We've been very, very successful at keeping people in their homes and creating an affordable payment structure and still making a good profit for our investors doing that. Got it. Got it. So, so that's really good on the junior on the second loan, right? But I want to come back to the first loan or the fundamental concepts first, right? Because so the economy is doing very well, right? Uh, if someone is not servicing their loan right now, right? Why not the bank foreclose on it and sell off the property rather than selling it to you at you know deep discount? Yeah, and and so as far as the first liens go, uh, as you know, right now foreclosure rates are 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 very low historically. I mean, mm-hmm. we yeah. we went through the you know two, the two thousand and eight mortgage crisis. If you want to pin a date to it, the subsequent uh, three to four years, there was a glut of these non performing mortgages. The institutions basically had to do whatever they could do to get these assets off of their books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by the time they took properties all the way through to foreclosure. 
the regulators are breathing down their back. Their balance sheets look terrible. So they started moving upstream and selling the non-performing loans simply to get them off their books. And of course, they got all the, the bailout funds and all of that that we know about and have read about. So there was a period in time where there were there were there were just there was a large inventory of these non-performing senior liens. Now things have settled down from that. So there there are still a good amount of those that trade in the secondary market. Uh, there's there's always been. I mean this 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 business model has been going on forever because I think I heard a number the other day that if historically four percent of all residential mortgages are in default at all times. And that number might have spiked up to seven or eight percent during the, the the thick of the mortgage crisis, but I mean that that means that you know ninety two to ninety three percent of all mortgages were still being paid by the borrower. So, uh, but doubling of the defaults as it was a big number, and it created an opportunity for a lot of people to jump into the space. And um, like ourselves, only we just decided to jump into the the junior liens because there was less people you know interested in that. It sounded risky. It sounded like, why would you want to do that? Until we started looking at what the numbers look like and the leverage that we get. So so there's not as many uh, senior liens available now. The pricing has gotten to where it's pretty competitive. You have to really know what you're doing to uh, to buy senior liens and, and, you know, and make it work for you because you have to, you have to beat the clock, so to speak, because mm-hmm. the margins are a little bit, a little bit shrunk. Okay. So, to recap, there's not much not much the normal loan is available nowadays because the economy is doing well, the percentage of it is too low, and the banks are not really... I mean, they have many ways to get rid of the loan rather than just selling it to you. But you have been focusing on the second lien where people sometimes take double loan, I guess, right? On top of one loan, they take another loan, and that's right. what we call a, a junior loan. Junior, yeah, junior lien. So junior yeah, leans, sec- okay. a second mortgage, a home equity line. There's all kinds of names, but yeah. Where, where do they sell this? I mean, uh, how do you know about it? Really, I started going to conferences in this, Conference, within this okay. industry. The mortgage industry, it, there's always been large players in it, but it's kind of a niche for small entrepreneurial investors like ourselves. We're a pretty entrepreneurial firm. I've been in real estate related uh, in the industry for self-employed full-time for 33 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I, I go to a lot of conferences. I like to get, I like to learn. So I like to learn real time. So I do, I listen to podcasts, watch webinars and go to conferences. And, and I heard, I, I heard a gentleman talking about the junior liens at a conference and he was in a little breakout room and there was only about a dozen people in there because everybody else was in the main hall listening to how to buy, how to buy senior liens, how to buy the firsts, you know? And I heard him talk about second liens and I immediately I, I got it. The light came on for me, and I said, "This is this is where I want to enter this space because it's because uh, I understood it, and I understood the leverage, and I understood the the price points, and so uh, you know, I jumped into this niche, and, and where we buy them is from other people that are in our world. I mean, that have relationships with banks. We've bought some stuff direct from banks. We bought some, uh, you know, we we buy most of our paper though through retraders, larger hedge funds that don't know what to do with the seconds. They don't want them necessarily." So truly in this space, one man's trash is another man's treasure. That, that, that adage holds true. We've just developed a, a, a core competency and a skill set to be able to buy, know what to pay for these second liens and know how to do these workouts with the borrowers. And it's been, it's been very lucrative for us. And it's been very uh, helpful to the, um, to the homeowners as well. 
Got it, got it. So, okay, so interesting. So second lane, second lane, the problem with second lane is they can't really foreclose on the deal, right? Because now they are not the first, the first in line, right? The, the yeah, actually, and actually that's that, that, uh, that misunderstanding right there mm-hmm. is, is exactly what uh, part of what created the opportunity for us, got because it. for some reason people are under the impression uh-huh. that you cannot foreclose from a second position. And of course you can, that's your you know, any lender, any real estate lender, the collateral, uh, the security for your loan, what's, what's, what's motivating you to make the loan is not only the borrower's ability to pay, but in the likely, in the, in the, in the event that the borrower cannot pay, you have to be able to exercise your rights against the collateral. And so, of course, a junior lien, it's a lien, it's, it's a lien on the property. And we have all of the rights of, of any other lien holder, of a first lien holder, it's a little bit different in that if I foreclose from second position, I typically, there are some exceptions to this, but typically if nobody comes and bids at the courthouse steps for my second lien position, I end up with the property. I get title to the property, but the first lien is still in place. So in a sense, I've just bought the property subject to the first. Oh, got you it. follow me? Got it, got so it, the, first, the first doesn't go away if I foreclose. Now, in some states, uh, the first will then, you know, they'll trigger their acceleration clause and say, you now owe us. You have to pay off the first as well. But, mm-hmm. but in most cases, if we foreclose from second, we end up owning the property with the first mortgage still in place. Now, I, I want to say this up front. Our, our, uh, our goal, our business model is not to foreclose on properties. We've actually had to do that less than 2% of the time over thousands of transactions and there's even been cases where we've foreclosed and then we've turned around and we've unwound the foreclosure and recast a new agreement with the borrower to, to keep them in the property. So it's not our game, but uh, but we absolutely have the right to foreclose from second lien position. So on the second lien, you, so you're basically the gain that you get when you when you take over the property, you basically wiped out the equity from the original owner of the loan, I guess, right? And then so now you get 20, 30% off of the property, right? Well, kind of. I mean, we, so the, whoever, let's say whoever held the paper before us, whoever, let's say it's a, just for simple numbers, let's say it's a $100,000 loan. Mm-hmm. And if we buy that loan for, you know, $25,000, we still own an IOU from the borrower for $100,000. The borrower still owes us $100,000. The bank or the originator or whoever we bought that loan from, they're out of the picture. They're gone. They assign their rights to us. They do an assignment of mortgage to us. They endorse the loan, the note, promissory note over to us. And now we are the new lender per se. Oh, okay. So the borrower, the borrower's equity is what is at stake. And so if the borrower has equity above our loan or above what we're willing to settle the loan for, then we have, you know, then we have a good position to go to the borrower and say, hey, let's work something out here. We really don't want your property. And they sometimes will say, yeah, but I don't have any equity in my property now. We really would like to stay, but we can't afford it. Well, what what they don't know until we get talking to them is, look, we have a whole lot of room to help you, to work with you. Um, it's a $100,000 loan, but if if we can recast that loan, this is just an example. If we can re if we can modify that loan and get them on a payment program, and and over time say we forgive some of the principal that they owe, to where maybe now they only owe seventy thousand dollars. 
Well, that 30,000 goes right back into their equity or towards their equity in the property. Now they're incentivized to make the payments on the second. So we we look at their finances. We, we have a pretty sophisticated underwriting team and tools that we use. And uh, we have a lot of uh, people that have banking and loan origination experience. So we're underwriting these people. We're not throwing usurious high interest rate loans at them. We're really, our goal is for them to be able to stick, you know, they, that they get back on track and they don't have any more speed bumps and they can pay their mortgage at a reduced rate. And so mm-hmm. we might, we might take that loan that we, you know, it, it's the payable is a hundred thousand dollars. We paid 25 for it. We might get them performing. And now we've created a loan that's to us, it's worth, we could turn around and sell that loan to another investor that wants to cash flow for fifty or sixty thousand dollars, so got it, got it. You see, so, we, we we can double and triple our money by creating a performing asset out of the non-performing asset that we. Purchased. So your value add in this case is you're basically buying it at a deep you have a deep discount, right? Let's say a exactly hundred thousand right. loan, you're buying yeah. it at twenty five thousand. Now you're going back to the house owner and telling you you don't own hundred thousand. We want to get you back on track. We're going to forgive you for thirty thousand. Now you own. 70,000, right? And get them to start paying back the mortgage. And uh, you probably will sell that 70,000 mortgage to another another lender, right? Uh, who might pay yeah. you 50,000. So you basically yeah. double 25,000 to 50,000, I guess. Yeah. So we have we have various, we have like seven different exit strategies for these okay. non-performing loans that we buy. And, and okay. I would say 60 plus percent of the time, mm-hmm. we end up with either a fast settlement from the borrowers mm-hmm. at a discount mm-hmm. or we modify the terms of their loan and we create we create paper that's now worth our average over you know eight years now of doing this and thousands of loans um, we're, we're averaging and this is including the good the bad and the ugly the ones that we that become worthless for various reasons but we're averaging in the about mid twos like two and a half times what we pay for the loan so if we buy a million dollars worth of loans we're going to generate two and a half million dollars in revenue. It's a pretty nice multiplier. Now, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of regulatory um, issues we have to deal with there. And, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of debt forgiveness that happens in that process. But again, you hit it, James, because we're buying this paper at such a deep discount, we're yeah. able, we're, we have a lot of tools where we can make it work for both parties, both our investors and, and our borrowers. And that's what makes us feel good at the end of the day. We're serving, yeah. really serving two different, Two different groups of people. So, what's the reason the original, the first lien, uh, the original second lien lender did not give that discount to the homeowner? Yeah, you know, in some cases they actually do. It's pretty rare, but that at, at the time when a lot of these loans were going into default, mm-hmm. these institutions were just they 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 just had trouble on their hands on, on, in every front, and and again they they're they're uh, bookkeeping, <laughs> if you will, they're accounting on these junior liens is different than on, on a typical senior lien. So they, they have to charge this paper off. So it becomes, they take the hit on their books and it really becomes a, a, a very low priority for them to do anything with, with these loans at that point in time. But I think the biggest, the, the main answer for you there is they just had so much trouble on their hands. It was a low priority. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I mean, this bank make billions of dollars sometime, you know, Second lien is just just a small department in their their whole balance sheet, right? They don't want to deal with it, right? It's okay. We lose 75%. 
right. just get it's rid of it. It's treated differently. It's yeah, actually get... treated differently from a compliance standpoint. It's okay, it's, got it. it's not the same as a 30-year mortgage. Oh, okay. So maybe they have more flexibility in terms of compliance to get rid of it and just get rid of it. And yeah. And companies like you take advantage of that inefficiency of the bank and you basically make a business out of it, which is really interesting. I mean, because this is complicated stuff. It's not, I'm sure it's not simple. No, it's not. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it is, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of trips and traps and, and there's, yeah. and there's a lot of uh, regulations and we're very compliance minded. We're, uh, mm-hmm. we're licensed pretty much in every state now to, to do what we do. We've, you know, pursued licensing from the beginning because it's the right way to do it. And mm-hmm. we're very, uh, we're very consumer minded and we try to keep up with all the, the credit laws and, and regulations because it's, you know, it's important. To do so, that. so let's say someone want to do like what you're doing right now, what kind of license and uh, you know, experience do they need to get started? Wow. Well, gosh, <laughs> I'm not trying to create competition for you, but I think oh, it's no, 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 I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about competition. I'm sure the, the banks has billions of dollars to dispose. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. I, I, I would say that the, the best way for a person to get started, honestly, is to go to start attending conferences, start. Uh, there's some there's some education that you can find online. Our company is not we're not an education company. We're actually doing this business. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can, if people want to reach out through our website. We can certainly point people to some resources. As far as licensing goes, everybody's got to decide their own where they're going to stick the fork into that one, because it re- depends on what's every every state is different. There's there's some similarities, obviously, but but there's two or three different levels of licensing, and then you've got 50 states. You know, we we spent a lot of money pursuing licenses in the states that we thought would be the we would end up buying the most loans in. But in our business, you you can't. The pickier you are as far as where what states you buy loans in, the more you're going to pay, the less product you're going to find, and you're not. It's not going to be a super scalable operation. We. We're, we're a scaling, we're, we're, a, we're a growing company right now and we're scaling up our operations. So we just decided we'll buy in every state and we'll just get the licensing needed to, uh, to be able to do business. So it's a, it's a pretty sophisticated operation. It's not to mm-hmm. say a small investor can't get involved in it, but um, most people that invest in this space that we encounter are actually people that are interested in investing in our funds. And we, you know, we, we have our, our funds are, are we're really for only for accredited investors and um, you know that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic, but it's it's a one hundred percent passive investment for our investors that invest in our funds, invest in our business. Our 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 company operates the business models, and they just basically are passive investors. But for somebody to get in and become a note buyer or note seller, um, the best way to do that, honestly, is to, is to start going to the industry conferences, listening to the presentations. Uh, talking to the people out in the out in the sponsor hall and meeting meeting people. That's how I started this business. I'm the, some of the people that work for us. I met at some of the very first conferences I ever attended, and the people we buy notes from and the people we sell notes to almost 100 percent have been, have come through relationships built by getting out there and attending conferences and, and networking with people. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be very niche because you know there's no gurus teaching this, right? I mean, otherwise everybody super niche. There are a couple gurus teaching it, and again, I mean, offline we can we can I can be glad to help some people and point them in, in direction of some people that I trust and I know in the industry that actually do training. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it, it is available. Got it. Um, Got it. Like anything, there's some fluff out there, but I, mm-hmm. I find most people that are in the notes world are actually pretty they're pretty down to earth, good people. They're not they're not trying to 
you know, it's a small enough space that if people do something really stupid, the word gets around and, yeah. you know, which it should, it should get around. The word should get around. Yeah. So I think the, I don't know, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So compared to like buying a real estate versus buying notes, notes is very transactional basis. It involves a lot of coordination, right? So because you, you, I think you're going to move like in a system, system by system, right? You have to do this first, you have to do this first. And there's a lot of complications in terms of compliance and all that. So somebody who enjoys that kind of work, rather yeah. than going, buying a deal and rehabbing it and seeing it looks pretty right now or drive around uh, that real estate and show everybody this is the property that I rehab. Yeah. Your, your job is really, you know, this is, not being seen anywhere, right? but it's all about transaction basis, and that's how you make the money. Yeah, and, and the upside of it is, you know, you can you can manage a lot of real estate value vis a vis mortgages. You know, across the country, uh, it's very scalable because you you know we're not we don't get involved in the tenants' toilets and trash end of it unless we have to foreclose, which is very rare. And there's an infrastructure out there for our business. There's servicers, there's vendors, there's attorneys in every state that we use. There's document vendors that that check all of the uh, collateral documents, the notes, the mortgages, all the assignments for us. So you can scale. And you know the the one thing though that real estate has that that the note industry doesn't is if you buy real estate, you might have more work on your hands. You might have to get your hands a little bit dirty, but but you actually own an asset that's not going to go away in 30 years. So uh, the paper business is really clean and we love getting monthly checks or ACH deposits into our account from thousands of borrowers. It's a wonderful thing. We don't have to go check on the properties, et cetera. But at, this, but at the end of the day, we have to keep buying these notes and creating new cash flows because if you own a you know, 100 unit apartment building, that asset's going to be sitting there 30 years from now. Provided. Forever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really think just in general terms, a good strategy for an individual investor is, is to, to, to do both, have, have, a, have a hand in both. But, but, uh, and we do invest in real estate, you know, personally, and we'll probably eventually start some funds for uh, purchasing key types of, of real estate. But we started our company to, in, in 2012 based on doing mortgages. And it's just so, it's been so, lucrative for us and we've we've built a great team and some great models and systems and right now it's like a 100% focus on scaling this business because it's just going so well for us so yeah and I think in the note business, I mean, you make the money in the, the transaction, but is there any tax benefit to it? I mean, that anybody can realize like for you or also for passive investors who are investing in, in your in the funds like you, yeah, uh, in there, the funds I, like I, what you guys I, offer? Yeah, the tax aspects of it, I'll just be honest, it's not really my end of the business. From what people within my company say, yeah, there's we have some pretty advantageous tax treatment. But that's, again, there's a lot of gray areas in this business. And that that's something that, uh, I mean, I can't say it's it's something like the opportunity zones or it's, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you have depreciation like you do with rental real estate. There's nothing that stands out to me that's worth going on the air and saying that, oh, tremendous tax advantages because of X, Y, and Z. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's out of my skill set, and I wouldn't want to say something that would get somebody in trouble down the okay, road. Anyways. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, tell us about uh, how passive investors can get involved into your notes. Is it like you have a big fund where you go and buy, you know, notes, you know, in a bulk, but they invest into this fund and they get certain percentage? And how how does that work? Right. So I'll just give you in a nutshell, because we have two different business models and we build funds around these models. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the where we started and. Uh, and where we're the largest, frankly, is in our in our workout funds or our non-performing loan funds, where we buy, we go out and buy uh, 
you know, pools and pools of these non-performing mortgages. And then we turn them over to our, we, we board them all with a national servicer, first of all. And then we board them with our, our workout team that, get, that, go, that gets busy do, doing our exit strategies with the borrowers. What we do is we raise, uh, again, for accredited investors, we raise serial closed-end funds. So we'll go out and we'll raise, say, $10 million. And over the course of maybe one to six months, and then as soon as we start, as that capital starts coming in, we're spending it. We're always buying loans. We're always working out loans and we're always exiting loans. But we'll put together a, a like say fund number one, and we're actually working on fund number funds number four and five right now. So the investment capital comes in, we're bidding and buying loans and we're working out those loans. And then as those loans are exited, we're, we're uh, directing the revenues back to our investors and until they get their capital back. And then we have a profit split that we do with them. So that's our more speculative growth oriented strategy. It's not a liquid strategy. So if a person invests half a million dollars, we tell them, you know, don't count on seeing any of your money, at least for the first 18 months, because it takes a while to get these things worked out and get, we'll see some early exits, you know, six months, 12 months. But by the time we hit three years, most everything has been has been wound down. We've 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 uh, executed our exit strategies. The investors have gotten their money back plus their plus their profit, and you know we're we target and we've performed to this you know uh, anywhere from the high teens to the low twenties, mid twenties in terms of a real IRR. That's a time loaded rate of return. So it's a very lucrative. Like I said, it's a very lucrative uh, end of the business uh, for people that understand it and for people that don't need you know the cash flow or they they don't mind a, a three year lockup on their money. Our other side of our business is the income fund, and this is where we're buying loans that are already performing. So we're buying cash flows. We have a sophisticated underwriting model. So an investor puts their money into our fund, and we basically start paying them. We pay a preferred return of eight and a half percent. And you know, this is just mailbox money. This is for somebody that's that wants to you know wants cash flow on a regular basis. You know, so our investors actually own our the, our funds actually own the loans. We do not own them. We only get paid if we're successful, and we get paid for managing the fund. So uh, there's no, you know, there's no fluff in the middle. Yeah, it's been it's been great. We're we're building both sides of the business and having having really good success right now. Got it. How does uh, your business model changes if there's a recession? Yeah, I love this question. I feel like we're we're so well positioned for this because <clears throat> I'll just I'll just compare it to say uh, I'm going to just focus right now on the on the on the income side of our business because that would be where you would think that a recession would be the most immediately effective. On the non-performing side, we're already buying these loans at such deep discounts, so we have all kinds of we can be patient with those. There's all kinds of ways we can exit those successfully. But on the income side, uh, we, first of all, we price into our model uh, a pretty substantial default rate, like 10% of our loans. We price them as if 10% of them. Are going to go into default. We've we have never seen anywhere near that in our track record. But you know we, we have that built into our pricing. The what about in two thousand eight? Really, what's that? What about in two thousand eight? So well, we only started in in the business in two thousand twelve. So are you oh, asking? Okay, got it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So so what if another big event like mm-hmm. that happens? Okay. So we are our our income fund. Our loans are spread across the country geographically. Our typical loan is a, a you know $120,000, $150,000 home in the Midwest. 
These are workforce housing. These are bread and butter houses. The only way these loans are going to go into default is if there's a is if there's a sustained loss of income by these borrowers. These aren't speculated bubble markets. We do have some loans on the West Coast and on the East Coast. We're covered with a pretty substantial amount of equity because of when we bought most of those loans. Frankly, we are balancing our portfolio. We're, we're looking at our portfolio all the time and uh, divesting ourselves in, the, in what we perceive as a higher risk markets. But you got to keep, this is a really important point I'm about to make here. You got to keep this in mind. If, if I'm lending money to a fix and flipper and they... Uh, you know, they see that they're, it's taken them longer to finish the work, the expenses of the, of the rehab are increasing, and the resale values are coming down. At some point in time, they look at that project and go, I can't make any money on this deal anymore. If you're lucky as the lender, they hand you back the keys, and you got a half-finished rehab project in a remote location that you got to go take care of, okay? Mm-hmm. You're not a passive investor in that scenario. In our situation, Again, your investment is spread across hundreds and hundreds of bread and butter homes where people with real jobs and real kids that go to the real school down the street, they live in these homes. They're not looking at the metrics. They're not looking at Zillow every morning and saying, hey, look at this, honey. We don't have near as much equity in our property. We should hand the keys back to our lender. This is, a, this is home sweet home. Mm-hmm. So even if they are in a neg- end up in a negative equity situation, there's what we like to call in our business emotional equity. You know, people don't want to get foreclosed on. They don't want to file bankruptcy. You know, they want to keep paying their mortgage. It's their home. And, and they're on their way to owning it free and clear at some point. I'm typical 30-year mortgage. So, so they're not looking at life the same way as a, as a rehabber or a business-to-business lending relationship would, would look at life. So to me, this is our biggest uh, uh, I don't think anything on the planet's recession proof, but I think we're recession resistant. Mm-hmm. I think we might see in a, in a serious setback if there's a if there's a big unemployment reversal, that would be probably the biggest thing that would hurt us. But even there, uh, because most of our properties, most of our properties, if we had to foreclose and take the property back, we could actually rent those properties out for more than what the mortgage payments are now. So we're pretty capital protective, and I think our cash flow is pretty well protected as well. So I love our models for that reason. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it makes sense, right? But if something like 2008 happened, which I don't think so, but yeah. there will be a lot more mortgage default, right? I mean, yeah, you, it could be yeah. a problem for you for your current portfolio. But I yeah. think the systems and process that you already have might be a really good opportunity for you to buy. Yeah, more. actually, I hate to say it because it's it sounds like the undertaker saying, "Hey, business was great this year. A bunch of people died." You know, yeah, it's, I know. It's not yeah. something that you want to. I'm not looking for looking forward to people mm-hmm. having trouble and and or or uh, the economy having trouble. But the fact of the matter is. If we go into another 2008 type event or anything even close to it, mm-hmm. it's going to be back up the truck for us because, mm-hmm. like you said, we have the systems, the processes, the teams in place, right. and the expertise. And so, it, it would be a business-wise, it would be very, it would be a very big time for us. But Correct. as far as our existing mortgage portfolios, I, I just don't think we're going to get hurt if there's a even if there's a pretty significant turnaround because again it's tied to the it's tied to the jobs more than anything our business is tied to jobs not so much what's the, what's the what's the appreciation rate or depreciation rate of real estate that's really kind of that's what we love about our models we're very uncorrelated to both the real estate market and we're super uncorrelated to wall street 
I mean, we, you know, we saw what happened just a couple of days ago with stocks and bonds. And mm-hmm. I might say, well, what happened to your portfolio? What, what happened to your investment in Aspen? Well, absolutely nothing. Yeah. People paid their mortgages on the day they were that they were due. And we got more that'll be paid this week and more the next week and life goes on. And it's just, we're, we're really not in that world. Um, and, and that's, that's, we love that. And that's why we see more and more even institutional investors moving into alternative investments and, and, you know, like, like, like your own James and, mm-hmm. and like ours, you know, there's just a, there's a real pent up demand for uncorrelated places for people to put their money. So this is a really good time for, for people like us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Jim, why not tell our audience and listeners on, uh, you know, how to get hold of you and your company? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Best way would be, I think you're going to have in your show notes a link, a, a, a private link for your listeners to our website. But I'll go ahead and just give you, it's just go to our website and then request information. But it's aspenfunds.us. So aspenfunds is one word, A-S-P-E-N-F-U-N-D-S dot U-S. And uh, just just search around there and there will be a place where you can request some information or somebody to reach out to you and if you're wanting to get involved in, in buying and selling notes, we can we can direct you to some great resources. And if you're interested in our funds, again, you have to be an accredited accredited investor, and we can uh, we can walk you through that process as well. Got it, got it. Well, thanks for coming in to the show. I, I really learned a lot. I mean, I did not know much about this note business, but I think I really learned a lot, and it's very interesting. All right, very good. Happy Thank to you. be here. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.